Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, good, good morning, everyone. It is good for me to be here, and it's a privilege to be here. And uh, we're talking about going through a sermon series called The Essentials of Christian um, Faith and kind of talking about, uh, as our church, Cary Alliance, um, the leadership got together and the pastors talked and, and prayed through what do we want to communicate, you know, as we preach forward. Um, what do we want to communicate to, to the people? One is, as, as we do this, as a reminder for those who have been here for a long time, this is what we are about. This is what we think as a leadership is important for the church, uh, essentials for the church as we glorify God, as we um, look at discipleship, growing to be more like Christ. Um, so that's, that's what we're talking about. And, and for those who are, who are fairly new to the Alliance or, or Carry Alliance, kind of a a way to express and, and talk through these elements, these essentials are what we believe and we think are important. Um, so that's what we're doing. Um, I'd like you to turn your Bibles or be on the screen. It's um, kind of a foundational passage. Um, can't talk about community or small groups without at least uh, looking at this passage from Acts 2. Um, the established church, what did they do? As they began meeting, as they began worshiping God together collectively as the people of God, what did that look like? And we get a good glimpse of that, starting with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Lord, we come to you as we read your word, as we look at other passages in your word. I pray that uh, you'd speak through me. You would re renew my mind with the mind of Christ and uh, help me to express what uh, you would like me to communicate. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in Comfort and conviction, and uh, would you continue to draw us closer to who you are, knowing more about who you are and how you work and how you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said before, as we look at the essentials and as we thought what is important to go through the essentials, and then we kind of passed out assignments, and I got small groups, which I had mixed emotions about. To be, if we're gonna, can we be honest today? No? Okay, then I'll just... No, I'm just going to be honest. Like, it, it, it was tough for me because, one, I love small groups, and I am now overseeing small groups at the church. And, and so if you are interested or want to be a, a leader of a small group or host a small group or be um, in a small group, you can talk to me, roger at curialliance.org. If you didn't remember that, that's fine. Roger at Carolines. No D in the in the in Roger. Some people are like Roger, and no D. It's just R O G E R. Um, 
But we're, we're going to make a big push for small groups starting in January. You know, New Year, and uh, we'll have some brochures to talk about small groups and how to get signed up. But today, I at least want to talk about small groups. Oh, so to get back to why I was a little bit mixed emotions. One, I love small groups, and I'm excited to um, be kind of overseeing the small groups because I think it's vital and important in the church family. I, I really do. Um, but then, too, I'm like, small groups, like that, that just sounds so shallow. I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you, you can talk about small groups. That's such a heavy topic. And, and you know, I was thinking, I, I love it, but then, I, I, so to be honest, I've been wrestling what, with what to say. I've been thinking about it a long time, and then I had some things in mind, maybe jotted down some notes, and then two weeks ago, um, Pastor Mitchell, when we did the Thanksgiving meal, he talked about fellowship. And like, oh, I was going to say that. Oh, that's the verse I was going to use. I mean, he said a lot better than I, I, I would, but he, I, like, I was just going down the list, and I'm like, what else is there to say? Like, seriously, like, what do I do? So anyway, here we are. And I want to talk about small groups, not just in the essence of just small groups, but in its, its community. And I believe it's important. Um, Pastor Mitchell, when he talked about fellowship, he talked of the, this word koinonia, to have things in common, to have everything in common, and to, to mingle together with common beliefs. So as a church, do we have true fellowship? You know, I, I, I show up 15 minutes early and I get coffee. It seems like the same person is always there when I get coffee. And so we, we catch up. Hey, how was your week? So that was fellowship. Well, kind of. I mean, it was. But true fellowship is deeper than that. True fellowship gets at the heart and needs of, of, of who we are as Christians. And we come together because we're bonded of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And I believe the best way to do that is in community. And so I'm going to talk about um, small groups specifically today. And, and, and in essence, it's really talking about the importance of Christian community in, in the church. So a lot of times you, you talk about, you know, um, why small groups? You know, if someone were to ask you if you're in a small group, why are you in a small group? Or people ask me, um, or I ask, ask them, you know, you should be part of a small group. Would you like to be part of a small group? Well, what is it? Or, you know, different churches and things. And I, I've, I've read a lot and uh, listened to a lot the last couple months. In time. And, and, and I've changed in kind of some of my perspective on small groups. And one is this very essence. What is small groups? Because originally I just wanted to talk about the what. This is what small groups are. Because if you were to ask me why small groups or what, what, what is a small group, you know, at, You'd say things like, you know, relationships are there. You can have relationships, form relationships. You can pray for one another. You pray together. Um, they're designed to grow spiritually, but also numerically. You, you can grow uh, in, in different churches. That, that's a way of, of getting more people involved in the, in the church. Um, a means of discipleship. Food is always great. Um, well, the food isn't always great, but it's always great to have food. Um, you know, you can serve together or be on the same mission of, of, of serving together in the church or outside of the church. 
Um, so, some, sometimes, and a lot of people write about this, is, you know, as a church, you want small groups because it closes the back door. You know, you got people coming in, and you want them to get connected so they don't go out the back door. Um, and, and all these are true. But, but this is a list of, of what small groups do. Nothing wrong with it. It, it. It's a great what, but I think the deeper question is why. Why do we have small groups, and why should you seek out small groups, or at least Christian community? So I think it's important to distinguish between the two, because if it's just the what, and that's actually, a couple months ago I would have just preached the what, because there's a lot of verses in the, the Bible that talk about, you know, the one another's and different things we'll talk about, but first we've got to get to the why, because if it's just about what, you know, why should I be in a, in a, in a, in a small group and we just do the what, you know, you'll be cared for. Well, what if someone gets in a small group and they don't feel like they're cared for? Then they're disappointed in community, right? I, I think people are cared for in small groups. Hopefully that happens, but that shouldn't be a, a reason of why. Um, so sometimes people are dis, disappointed in communities and they'll say things like, you know, I, I, I joined to get accountability and discipleship and I'm not feeling like, at least for what I was expecting, I'm not getting those things. Therefore, I'm disappointed in the community here. Because it's not what I wanted, and so therefore, it's probably not for me. Um, or I wasn't getting fed. Um, so it, really, when you, when you think just about the, the what's, there, there can be disappointed. But it also, in only looking at the what's, we, we look at it, and, and what's in it for me? I'm joining a small group because I, or we, get to experience or get or whatever. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's not the best thing. That happens, but I think it's deeper than that. Or for results. Sometimes we get in a small group, and in the small group, the small group will therefore provide this, that, or the other, and a mission of going forward, or people um, becoming um, part of discipleship, which is a great thing. And, and once again, there could be disappointment, and, and, it, and it's happened in, in a group that I was in, actually a group that I was leading. Um, someone said, I, was, I, I joined the group thinking that we were going to accomplish something, and we haven't accomplished anything, everything that I, I wanted. Therefore, I, I don't think I need to be part of this group. And you know what? It was my fault. I didn't communicate well. I, I set myself up for failure, promising something that we can't fully deliver in, in every aspect. So anyway, to get to the point, I think biblically or more even theologically, there's reasons to be part of community or small groups. And what are these reasons? Number one is um, we were created for it. Start with our, our, our design through our, our, our creator. He, he designed us that way. That's where we function best. You know, Proverbs 18 says, you know, those who seek isolation are going against wisdom. We were really created to be in community. And we understand, when we understand who we are, that we are image bearers 
of God. That God exists in, in Trinitarian community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God exists in Trinitarian community in that He created us in His image. And so you go back to Genesis 1, you have the, the, the creation account, and then you read, read Genesis 2, and you, we go through creation again and the focus on creation of, of man. And something really interesting happens, and it's not new to, to most of you in here, but God says it is not good. What, what's not good about the, the creation of man? We all know he was alone, Right? And I don't think this, this, God gave us this verse in Genesis so that we have a, a nice, cute verse to read at weddings. Although it is fitting, and I think that is a very good biblical um, reason for marriage. But I don't think it's just that. Or I, I, I used to think, you know, you read a verse like this, God is creating, and he says it's not He created something that's not good. And I was like, man, did, did God make a mistake? I used to read with that type of lens, like maybe God messed up, um, the first one didn't work, I'll give him a wife, and then that'll be great. I mean, that's how, how I kind of in, interpreted this. But I don't, I don't think God made a mistake, but God did make a point. Not simply about a, a man and woman needing to be together, he's making the point that man was made in the image of God. God who lives in Trinitarian community, and we have been created to be image bearers of God who lives in community. We're to reflect the image of the Creator. We're to, we're to show the rest of creation who God is. And when we do that, it's impossible as an individual, isolated, to fully reflect the image of God. We can't... Re we can't fully reflect the, 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 the nature of God alone or when we're not in, in community. And, and, and so I just want to be clear, when we read something like this, God lived in community, Trinitarian community, therefore I have to. It's not a have to. Um, because we are not bound to the law anymore, right? So we have freedom in Christ, so it's not a have to, but it's a get to. I think God says, God is giving us a gift. The reason that he doesn't want man to be alone and creates Eve is this idea of community, because he loves us. That he wants us to experience community as he does. There's mutual love, there's mutual respect, that we experience that as his creation. Not law. Not rules to follow, but a gift from God. I've created you as a relational person because I am a relational God. And you're going to experience me more fully and express me more fully in the context of community. It's a blessing. So we were created for community, number two, because Jesus made it possible to be in community true community. Because of what Christ has done, he reconciled us to God 
But he's also given us a means of being reconciled to each other. Christ made it possible for us to really image God. He made it possible for us to live in community and bring glory to him. Which if you think about that, that's a lot more compelling reason to be in community or to be in a small group than there's good food. You might get encouragement. I mean, think about that. That's compelling of who we are and what Christ has done to make it community even possible. So when, let's, let's, so when things get rough, right? If you're part of a small group or you've been part of a small group, it's not always easy. It's not easy to live in community. And so when there's a tough situation or you've got some, some things happening in someone's life and it takes a little bit extra care, takes a little bit extra time and, and patience, that we reflect Jesus. And that's the reason we're in community. That we have an opportunity because what Christ has done for us and changed us to be image bearers of him and reconciled in community that when, when, when things are tough in our small group and, and someone's not treating their, their husband or wife very kindly, and we may need to call that out or if someone's in sin or if someone's in a difficult season, and you're sitting there thinking, gosh, the lasagna is good, but do we really have to deal with all this? That's a wrong way of looking at community. But that we get to reflect Jesus to one another. That you look at the other people in your community, that you look at the, the situation in your community, and you're thinking, this this." Small group meeting gives me an opportunity to reflect Jesus, an opportunity to glorify God. It doesn't matter how things are going tonight. We could be celebrating, or because of someone's circumstances, we might be kind of crying together. But that doesn't matter because we can reflect Christ. That's why we do it the gospel. Right? We, we need community because we're created by God to exist in, in community. And because of sin, we, we, we take God, what God has intended. He wants to call us together, but the enemy wants to separate us. The enemy wants us to be isolated, right? But Jesus died for you. He died for me. And, and he loved you enough to live a life that you couldn't live. He died a death that we should have died. He rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And we get to live in community to reflect that because of what he's done. So community is life-giving, really. When someone's hurting, we can sacrifice for them because of what Christ did for us. We can be Christ to the other, other people because we know this is why I'm here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to probably gain some things and have some blessings, but the reason I'm here is because of Jesus. That's compelling. 
The last why I want to look at is um, because of, of Jesus' Jesus's example. Jesus lived in community. One of the first things Jesus does is creates community. Hey, you follow me, right? He, he creates community, and, and, and I want to look at the, the list he has in Matthew 10. This is like forming his small group. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thinking, neat, that's a neat list of some people. But we can, we can probably gain some things from this list. And the first I kind of already said, Jesus lived in community. Jesus could have come and just kind of lived as a hermit up on the mountain and, and, and done what he came to do, to die for us. But he chose to live in community. The first thing he does in his ministry is basically start a small group. And the, the call to follow him was to join that community. It doesn't just say, you know, hey, everyone come gather around and I'll, I'll, I'll give some, some good teaching, some inspiring content, some, maybe some memorable parables, and then good luck, go, go live it out on your own. No, he says, Let's do this together. I'm going to teach some things that are going to be difficult, but I want to live that out with you so we can talk about it, but I'm going to show you what that looks like together. That's an important aspect of Jesus' ministry. And people, the interesting thing about this list as well, as, as, as maybe you, you see, is that some of the people that people called into community weren't best friends. They're actually natural enemies. I mean, you've got drama embedded into this list of those who he called to follow him. Only two occupations are listed in this list. We've got Matthew, the tax collector, and then you've got Simon, the zealot. Couldn't find two people more separate in their, their thinking or who they are fully, fully apart politically in their way of life. So, so why does Matthew mention this? You know, tax, Matthew, the tax collector, tax collectors were full of basically collaborators with the Romans. You'd basically buy a franchise from the Roman government to have your business. Like if you were to have, you know, a McDonald's franchise or something. Matthew, the tax collector, had a franchise. He, he was an official representative of the Roman government Interesting. Then you got Simon, the, the zealot. Zealots believed by any means possible overthrowing the Roman government. You couldn't find two people further apart. Yet Jesus said, come follow me in this small group. It wasn't like a large crowd. They can sit on each side of the room. No, you're going to be in my inner circle. Think about the conversations they had. Someone wrote about that saying, it'd be like inviting your college-age niece 
who still wears her Bernie Sanders for president t-shirt all the time, and your uncle who always wears his red Make America Great Again hat, and you invite them to Christmas dinner and seat them next to each other and see what happens. See the sparks fly. And you take that times a thousand and you've got Simon and Matthew. But that's who Jesus called to say, be in my group. We can look past our differences because our central focus is the ministry and nature of who Christ is and what he's done. He called him, hey, come join me. What? With him? That, that's what Jesus did. And it wasn't like Jesus was making a mistake because he didn't understand the, the cultural differences. No, he did it on purpose. He did it intentionally from the very start saying, I want my life. I want those who follow me. I want my movement to be characterized by this. Because no other community has ever been like this. But I want it to be like this. Think about the people in our community. People in America, aren't we more divided than ever? Politically, race, socioeconomics. And we're divided. And it's not even like it's kind of a talked about every once. No, people are actually saying that from, you know, whatever you listen to, that we're divided. And you think about the people in your neighborhood, aren't they thirsting for this type of community? They might not know Christ, but didn't Christ say, they will know me by the love that you have for one another even when you do it with people who don't look like you, don't vote like you, don't think like you, don't dress like you. That's what Jesus was establishing. And I think we need it. People are thirsting for that type of community. I'm, I'm, I thirst for that type of community. It doesn't always happen, but I think we need to strive for it. So that's why. Why? Biblically, uh, maybe theologically, of, of why community, why small groups. Pastor, Pastor Mitchell talked when he was talking about fellowship, also mentioned the one another's in Scripture. There's 59 or 52, depending on who you read and how they count. You know, some of them are repeated. Um, but 59 one another's in Scripture. And it's impossible to live out the one another's unless you're in community. Right? One author said, you can't live the one, one another's in rows. You can only live out the one another's in circles. And I think it's true. The only way to do the one another's is if you are close in proximity to each other, which happens in true community. And, and so I just want to look at two. What time is it? Yeah, we're good for two. Um, one another's. First one is encourage one another. This is a great, this is a what of uh, small groups. Hopefully encouragement takes place, but we're also called to encourage one another, affirm one another, so to speak. Hebrews 3 verse 13 says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's 
deceitfulness. John Piper wrote on this verse, and he talks about community. It's a little bit lengthy quote, but I think, it's, I think you'll love it. This is our job in Christian community. Our job is to help each other from falling away, being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin from happening. That's why we are to encourage or exhort one another. You are God's appointed means to keep this from happening to your brothers or sisters. This is one of the great callings on your life as a Christian. All of you. This is the calling of Christian community in all its forms. Then he gives some examples. Christian community exists for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. Christian college and seminary classes exist for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. Christian counseling exists for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. Christian marriages and parenting exists for this. To say things that keep each other believing. Small groups exist for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. We are called to encourage one another in the faith. In life. I mean, it's nice to get that. Hey, that's a nice shirt. I mean, that's encouragement, but that's, I don't think that's the encouragement it's talking about. I think it's talking about we are encouraging, we're boosting one another up. Keep the faith. You can do this. And we're called to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So as you kind of think about fellowship and and, and community and community in, in the church and encouragement, who's looking out for you? Beside your spouse. Who's looking out for you? And, and who are you looking out for? Are we called to do this? Where does it happen in your life? Can you name three or four people in the church or in the, 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 the faith community that you're looking out for? And that they're looking out for, for you. Who, who in your world are, are you in discussion with on a regular basis talking about the sermon that's preached from the pulpit? I think it's important. How many of you who have been here for several years have invited new people into fellowship, dinner, coffee. I think community is needed in the church. And we all play a responsibility in making it happen. Yeah, we benefit from it, but we have a responsibility yeah, we're, called, we're loved and we're encouraged by who God is, but we're also called to love and encourage. 
Second what, last what, that I'll talk about. There's a lot more, 59 to be exact. Carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, Carry each other's burdens in this way that you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Remember Jesus said, A new commandment I have for you to love one another. A great way to love one another is to carry each other's burdens. And as you know, spiritual burdens are just as real as physical burdens. And we're called to carry them. And how many of us, how many people in our church, how many people that you know are carrying those burdens alone? And how crushing that is when we're called to be able to carry each other's burdens, we do it together. I read about this story of a, a woman who called a friend and she asked her, you know, how, how are things going? She's like, terrible. You know, my body aches, my head is splitting, my back is aching, legs are killing me, the house is a mess, the kids are driving me crazy, and I feel so alone. The, the lady on the phone said, I'm coming right over. You go lie down. I'm going to cook lunch. I'll clean up the house. I'll take care of your children while you just get some rest. And by the way, how's your husband Sam doing? Sam? My husband's name is not Sam. In which she replied, oh dear, I must have dialed the wrong number. And there was a long pause. And the reply came back, does this mean you're not coming over? <laughs> I, I, you look at the burdens of life. You know, whether it's health concerns or body aches or knees hurting or parenting or addiction or loss or loneliness. I don't think those things... Uh, I, They've maybe intensified a little bit in the last, you know, several years, but they've always been around. The only thing that has changed is no one's coming over. We need each other. But we also need to help each other. We're called to bear each other's burdens. And not every single burden, but we're called to bear each other's burdens. What does that mean? Paul goes on in, in, in verse 5 of Galatians 6 and said, you know, bear each other's burdens, but each should carry their own load. And there's two different words. There's load, which we should bear on our own, and then there's burdens, which we help each other with. Load, that's, that's like a backpack. You know, everyone can kind of carry their own No, It's doable. You ought to do that. You have responsibility to, to bear some of your own load. But the word he uses in verse 2, we bear each other's burden. That's more like a boulder. You, you can't do that on your own. That's why he's given us each other, that we help each other. 
You know, there's, there's someone in our small group um, several months ago, and they were on a family trip, and as they're driving out of town, they're about an hour and a half away, the car breaks down. Whole family, luggage, tools, because they're going to do some work, and, the, and a dog. And so in our communication with the small group, we all get this communication saying, um, can you help? And then, of course, there's replies, oh, no. <laughs> you know, exclamation, oh, no. Um, we could try to make something work, and then, I, I, yeah, depending on what's going on. And so anyway, so they got rescued, which is, which is great, but I love the response. Here's what he said. You know, we, we had this situation where we have this whole car full of stuff and people and a dog, and there's nothing. We couldn't Uber because we just couldn't. We didn't have anything to do. It was a Sunday and everything's closed. But he said, my first thought was to reach out to the small group. That was his first thought. Not AAA. Maybe they did that before. But, you know, but, but my point is, their first thought is, our small group will, will come through. I love that. We're called to live in community. And I want to share this. Uh, kind of look at the why, a couple of what's, but there's a lot more what's. As we talk through the essentials and as, as the church leadership kind of prays through and we've, we've been working through this working document for, for several months and it's not done yet. It hasn't been approved by the elders, but it's a, it's a working document. But I, I just want to read some things and don't quote me on this because it might change tomorrow. But listen to the wording. We think Sunday morning and small groups are the best places for discipleship growth growth and vision implementation. I'm talking about you know, what discipleship is and, and, and doctrinally and, and living practically from, from, from the Bible. We believe small group discipleship is utterly necessary. If discipleship is our focus and our assimilation process aims to move as many as possible into small groups, then small group discipleship is a must. I don't want to talk anyone ever into joining a small group. But I think there's some whys, biblically. I think there's a call of what we can add to community. And starting in January, we're going to be launching and, and kind of expanding the small group ministry. We're going to talk about, if you're interested in leading a small group or hosting a small group or being in a small group, we will communicate that. We want you to be in community for the things that I just tried to communicate. And there's more where that came from. But let's pray together and look for those coming your way and pray about it. Pray about if God would want you to lead, host, or just even be part of small group ministry. Lord God, we thank you that you love us. You are a God of love. You are a God who not only loved in word, but action. You came to us. You lived for us. You died for us. And Lord, I'm grateful for that, for new life and hope in you. But I'm also grateful for true fellowship. Friends, community, family that we can have that focuses on you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.